Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Boros, Dr. Physical Therapy Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. The, we, this is the number one fantasy football podcast based around injuries hosted by the son of two Mexican immigrants, number one on the hearts, number one on the charts, and number one in your hearts. Today, we have a very special, very special guest, vi- the specialist of guests. He's got a green screen behind him, um, looking quite cordial. He's got his hair done, looks nice. He is... It's alleged that he hasn't drafted a running back since 1994. Um, some rumors have said that he's never drafted a running back. His name, of course, is Pat Crane, part of the Ship Chasing Fantasy Football Podcast. Where, where else are you at? Where else are you at, Pat? Are you on Twitter? Where are your places? NBC Sports Edge. So that's NBC where you can find Sports all Edge. my written content. And I host a good football show there uh, every Tuesday. That's right. You're everywhere. You're you are all over the place, Pat. And your your draft bio does say I have never drafted a running back. Can you please clarify for the masses? Have you really never drafted a running back? I mean, well, that's on. so you talked about rumors and the rumors <laughs> are that I have drafted a running back. I maintain firmly that I have never drafted a running back. <laughs> and that is what I continue to not do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So make sure you follow him on Twitter at Pat Crane. Um, really good follow. We recently followed each other and I like dove straight into his content head first and I love it. Uh, I think he's got a lot of good stuff that is worth reading a lot of game theory. Um, he is one of the godfathers of the never RB obviously, as we've already alluded to today, we're going to do a, a similar draft of this series that I've been going through with some of these experts where he's going to be going through a fake mock draft with me. Essentially it's a single quarterback, two running back, three wide receiver, two flex uh, PPR 12 team league. He's going to be drafting fake drafting from the 12 slot. He's going to go through and tell us every player that he would take, whether he would take the player by this uh, FP. What is the FPC data, the ADP data, um, the FFPC data from the ADP. And he's going to tell us, yeah, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Um, he's got this night. He set it up for me and he's got this nice little single quarterback, five running back, nine wide receiver, two tight end set up. Oh, still it is fiddling. tight end premium. Still fiddling. It? Yes, it is. You're it still is, fiddling. Uh, okay. It is tight end premium. Tight end premium. Okay. So we're going to go through, we're going to hear all his takes. Before you get started, though, tell me when it, with this specific rule, the specific setup, what is your, what is your general idea, your thesis going in? How do you want to draft? Yeah. So we pulled this from uh, the FFPC Football Guys Players Championship, um, which is the exact same structure and setup as the main event. Uh, I've been doing drafts over there uh, a couple months now. Um, so definitely uh, a really good format kind of they've got different buy-ins so uh the the structure is that it's one quarterback two running backs two wide receivers one tight end and two flexes it's ppr it is 1.5 ppr for tight ends so tight end premium uh the drafting environment tends to be you know if, if you're over on underdog and you're kind of familiar with the wide receiver third this is not that this is definitely it's there is um, there are many sharp drafters on this platform. Um, and I would say in particular, you'll see that with kind of the breakout profiles do get priced up somewhat similarly on underdog, but there is just not quite the same level of wide receiver thirst in the room. Um, overall running backs are definitely more popular. And because you can play four running backs a week and running backs are predictable week to week, a lot of people draft to play running backs in the flex spots. So you have to be a little bit careful. Like, you know, my general idea here is to be loaded up at wide receiver. You know, wide receivers are going to score the most point point of your draft by taking the highest scoring player when you can. Um, but understanding that in this room, if you're playing over on FFPC or if you're doing some of the other high stakes formats, NFFC is similar. 
uh, if anything, maybe even a bit more running back thirsty. The format it doesn't fit running backs as well. Um, but understanding that, you know, you're going to be making two V2s throughout your draft. When you, when you pass on running backs early, sometimes you're going to make a 2v2 and go, you know what? You know, I had to reach by two rounds to get a running back to not get locked out of the position. and Or, you know, all the guys I thought I was going to be scooping up in kind of the early double-digit rounds just were gone. Um, and so sometimes I think it does in this particular league format makes to go ahead and get a running back early, even if you have never drafted one. <laughs> I love that. Can you repeat the uh, the starting lineup again for me, please? That because I I said it incorrectly. What's it, the starting it's lineup? It's one please? one quarterback, two running back, two wide receivers, one tight end, and two flexes. Okay, perfect. So basically, it sounds like you got to be nimble on your feet drafts, right? That's like the takeaway that I got. You got to be nimble, and you have to be you have to adapt and understand the rules and understand what's going to give you the best advantage. Yeah, I think you want to be it. you want to be nimble, and I would go in if. If you're kind of a zero running back mindset guy, I would go in with the idea of one elite running back being very, very viable in um, in this. The flexibility that you want to have, um, it, you can sometimes start to feel like your flexibility is getting sucked out a little bit because um, people just don't stop taking checks. So if you're if you're kind of planning like on underdog, if you're if you're comfortable kind of getting a lot of wide receivers. Maybe you go single elite running back, and then you're going to wait and wait, and then you're going to scoop running backs. It's, there's a really juicy pocket underdog. You just scoop up a bunch of running backs, and then, and then you're done. Um, that doesn't really happen on FF. You can find those guys, but you might end up having to reach a little bit. Um, so I think the best structure or a structure that I even kind of force a little bit sometimes is one elite on how it goes. I, I think you, zero running back is viable in this format, but um, but it's, it's almost like if the ADP were more efficient, it would be more mm-hmm. Well, let's do it, man. Let's get started then, because I want to see I want to see the mind in action. To see how you draft from the twelve slot. Um, this is a, a for me since I'm just an amateur, right? This is amateur hour around here. I, I hate drafting at the turn. I know that sharp sharp people will say, "Oh, dude, you you should love drafting at the turn." I just don't think I've done it enough to be comfortable. So I want to see where your mind goes. Number twelve, right off the bat, this ADP data says you should be taking Aaron Jones, turning around and taking Saquon Barkley. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I like Aaron Jones here. I think Barkley's good. I've actually we've taken Barkley um, at the 111 in a main event draft that we Ooh. did. So comfortable with that. That was prior to some of the concern, but it's kind of all bounced around and now it feels fine again. Um, but I, I would go uh, Jonathan Taylor. Um, he's fallen. Ooh. He is not. His ADP hasn't recovered. Um, I like Antonio Gibson a lot. We actually took him. I believe we might be the only draft to have taken Antonio in the first round. We took him in the first round at the 111. Um, in kind of an attempt to, to kind of force that one elite running back structure that I mentioned, but Taylor's ADP, I feel like is still at a discount and I don't really know why, uh, we're going to get Wentz back early in the season. They're going to be leaning on this guy in some ways, like a less mobile Wentz sounds great, right? We, we want to be dumping off more. So if they're leaning on him a little bit more, if they're dumping off to Jonathan Taylor a little bit more then uh, that's all great. I think people kind of thought through the Colts and realized maybe the Colts are a little scarier than they had been thinking they were and aren't fully back on board. But this good, very good offensive line here. I think of a functional offense that might run heavily through the running backs. And Jonathan Taylor is a stud. I think he has upside to handle more of the backfield than he did last year. It's kind of the player that you want to be betting on, I think. Just a situation where the talent is not in question whatsoever. The peripherals aren't ideal, but in some ways might set up so that they're kind of funneling things. The running back so uh if digs had fallen here um 
by you know by one spot he doesn't meet EP. If Tyree Kill had fallen here, I would have taken those guys and and gone wide receiver wide receiver here. But Jonathan Taylor's here, so I'm going to grab him. And then I'm also going to take Calvin Ridley. Get that kind of last. He's not in the tier of the top three, but um, I think he's a very strong selection in the second round, and I think he has a pretty massive ceiling. I mean, we we talk about like you know AJ Brown prior to Julio in there, just how excited we were for just the target share that he could get. Well, I mean, Ridley's now in that same Arthur Smith offense that we've just seen Arthur, or that we've just brown in. He's also on a team that's not going to be able to run as much as the Titans were. He's also locked in with Matt Ryan. There's really not a very strong wide receiver team. The wide receiver two, all rookie tight end. So target share upside here as well. Ridley, I think a little bit discounted because of, but we know he's a very wide receiver. So uh, he's actually a guy I haven't been able to get yet um, in the main event and someone very excited to to. I love fake drafting, Kelly. I, I don't, I'm kind of surprised that he's going 16 here. I don't know. Would you put, I guess you can really, you couldn't really argue. It'd be hard to argue Ridley over Dick, or could you make that argument? I wouldn't. I mean, I guess the, the argument would be Diggs has this mysterious, but you would be the guy to, to ask. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's legit at all. He threw camp drill, so I wouldn't be too concerned. Then, then it's Diggs. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, the one thing about uh, Jonathan Taylor, um, it doesn't really make sense. And maybe I'm just following the wrong people. To me, when I when I hear people complain about Saquon Barkley's offensive line, and I hear people complain about Najee Harris's uh, offensive line, and yet they're drafting, you know, they're drafting Jonathan Taylor as low as they are when he's got one of the best offensive lines, and like you're saying, a quarterback who might be hobbled first. I guess I just don't get it. So I think that you're 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 making sense of this, and I think that's a really logical pick if you believe in, in the and you believe in the fact that like you're saying they're going to funnel that offense through. I think that makes a ton of sense. So you're starting off Jonathan Taylor. Calvin Ridley, this ADP would tell you now you need to go TJ Hawkinson and Amari Cooper. I'm surprised Amari Cooper's on this ADP list, but what do you think? TJ Hawkinson and Amari Cooper, where are you going? I'm, I'm a slave to ADP. Go. Uh, I'm taking TJ Hawkinson and Amari Cooper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> TJ Hawkinson, yeah. Love it. I, uh, at the, out of the 310, uh, got to share TJ Hawkinson on these leagues. Um, he's, uh, I think, a pretty strong pick. The tight end premium is in the receptions. You know, it's not in anything right. else, not in the yards, not in the touchdowns, in the receptions. So, Where's the upside with TJ Hawkinson? It's in him being the engine oh, yeah. of an NFL, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, Tyrell Williams is looking like he's probably the wide receiver one. Rashad Perriman, not, not a ton of noise. Amon Ross St. Brown doesn't, I mean, he might, he's not going to have a high volume role. I think uh safe bet given that he day three, I think he, you know, he could be fine, but he's not going to be like a, a really high volume wide receiver. And so like, where are the targets going to go? And, you know, you've got a, an offense where, the head coach is a former tight end and the offense core is a former running back. And it's like, maybe they just get real <laughs> unconventional here. Maybe they run this through the tight end and the running back. <laughs> you know, you can't really predict what, what they're going to do. Can yeah. You? I mean, it's like, it's like a shit show over there. And you want to talk about another team that has a good offensive line. Right? The, this team has a good yeah, offensive yeah. line. It also mm-hmm. has a quarterback who does not throw deep. Right, so Tyra Williams is the wide receiver one. That doesn't really make a lot of sense for a Jared Goff offense. I again, I don't think the slot receiver is going to be a high volume option. Uh, not as high volume as Jared Goff would want it to be. And so I think a lot of those underneath kind of middle of field targets, that's all TJ Hawkinson stuff. So if you get TJ Hawkinson kind of operating, you know, as like the Cooper Cup safety blank for Jared Goff, and an offense that I think people are like a little bit carried away with how bad it could be or how bad this team is going to be. Dan Campbell seems like a player's coach. You know, a lot of the stuff he's talked about is like listening to his players more and kind of 
doing stuff that makes sense for his guys. And like, he says a lot of goofy stuff that I think, I mean, it makes me laugh. Like I, I think you see like, how much coffee he drinks. He drinks a lot of coffee. He's all jacked yeah, up. A lot like, of caffeine. These yeah. guys aren't going to quit on this guy. I don't, think. <laughs> I don't think they're quitting right. on him. So if he's doing stuff suboptimal, if he's going for, or if he's not going for fourth downs, he's, he's kicking field goals and, he, and Anthony Lynn's calling runs on first down and, you know, it's all <laughs> driving us nuts. That sure, that's that's going to be annoying, but I don't think it like condemns this offense to fantasy useless. I think there might be some value here, especially if they're running things through unconventional positions. And there's a lot of reasons to think TJ Hawkinson could see volume at the tight end position in an uncommon way. To get him at the 312 here in a tight end premium is nice. And, you know, I'd take him a little ahead of this. I think it is totally fine. Uh, so I like grabbing him here. And then Amari Cooper, uh, I don't know. I mean, he was back playing. He got, what, 13 snaps in the preseason. Seems like he was just kind of slowly rehabbing this ankle and they're not forcing him back on the field, which is like, I like to see that. I'm a big Rashad Bateman guy. It's like, oh, no, Rashad Bateman's not practicing. Hope he practices soon. He practices and he hurts himself. Like, I don't want them to, I don't want any of these guys to practice. <laughs> like, if they're, they're nursing <laughs> something, like, don't do anything. Like, please get healthy and then I'll see you in week one. So that's kind of, it seems like how Amari Cooper was treated. Uh, I'm into it. I, I think Amari Cooper makes a lot of sense at the 401. Uh, so, yeah. Wh- where are you at on Amari Cooper? Good question. Um, where I'm at on Amari Cooper is complicated simply because he had a scope in January on the ankle, and it was a run-of-the-mill, according to reports, it was a run-of-the-mill cleanup, right? They put him under. They cleaned up a little bit on the ankle. I assumed, I could be wrong, but I assumed it was just shaving down some bone spurs since he does have chronic uh, a chronic condition, plantar fasciitis. So I could be wrong on that, but that is a recovery that doesn't take six. Like there shouldn't have been an instance in any world where a player or a patient goes undergoes a scope and is having quote irritation, inflammation, whatever it was six months later, this, this, like he would have been back in a few weeks, the, the regular season, at least, you know, theoretically. So I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned, man, just because, you know, once you cut somebody open and you're supposed to make them better and they come out and they're really not that much better. I worry about the the chronic inflammation, irritation that could continue moving forward. Um, and, but really you could, and I could see the other side of it where you chalk it up. We're like, yeah, but he's always had these. Uh, I, I agree. I do think that he's always had these issues and he's always been sort of like a really low floor player. And I wonder how much of those chronic ankle issues um, contributes to that. Right. I just don't know. And now that he's been cut open, doesn't really seem to be much better. I don't. I don't have much faith that the that the chronic ankle stuff is going to be any better. So it's not that I'm necessarily saying you know full fate Amari Cooper, but I think that if he's in a tier with you know whoever whoever you think is is in a tier with Amari Cooper, I'd probably go those few players before him before going Amari Cooper. Um, ultimately, I do want to know though specifically. I see that you passed on Deontay Johnson in this range. You passed on Tyler Lockett on the, in this range. You passed on Mike Evans in this range. Um, and I'm not challenging you. I'm here. I genuinely want to know, like, what, what are your thoughts about them? Well, where are you at on DJ Moore's back? What's the deal with that? To be honest, this is the first time I'm hearing about DJ Moore's back. If it's anything that like what Keenan, Keenan Allen had last year, it's probably going to be. An- okay. I think he like landed harder. Yeah, uh, it's probably not a big. Okay. Um, well, I'm tempted to switch to DJ Moore after what you said about Amari Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even mention DJ Moore. Yeah. T- I mean, tell me your thoughts. DJ Moore is a guy I can't stop drafting. Um, am I allowed to switch? Can I, can I take in new information and switch my, I'm switching, Absolutely. To, I'm switching Absolutely. to DJ Moore. Um, <laughs> if you, you, your advice was to take guys within the that you like, um, that you think are kind of fully within this tier. 
um, rather than just a full fade. And that is very, very much DJ Moore for me, a guy who my exposures are a little bit out of control on, but luckily this is a mock draft, so that won't affect it. <laughs> Fake draft, um, right. Yeah. So, so uh, DJ Moore's like, to me, like fits really a lot of the things that we're looking for, where we know he's very, very talented. He's been efficient in every single year that he's been in the league. He was actually quite efficient per route basis last year. But it wasn't as you know big of a fantasy season as we wanted. He's operating as Teddy Bridgewater's deep. Don't love that, right? But he was efficient as Teddy Bridgewater's deep. I mean, this guy can do it all. Like we thought of him going into last year as this yards after the catch kind of guy. Then he shows that he can play very effectively as an. Now he's getting. I don't know if he'll be a quarterback upgrade, but he's getting a guy that should be better for him intermediate areas of the field uh, than Teddy Bridgewater was, and hopefully down the field as well. So he's a guy as well. Where if he just gets in the end zone, like, you know, even at a reasonable rate, all of a sudden we think about him differently. The lack of touchdowns kind of depressed the impression that we have of DJ Moore. He's a very, very talented wide receiver. Uh, I don't have any health concerns, so I'm making the switch. Yeah, that's totally fine. And the, he's got to regress in the touchdown department. I mean, this is this or maybe this is just who he is. Like, have we decided that maybe Julio Jones just doesn't score touchdowns, right? Like, maybe that's what we've decided for him, but... I just can't see him not DJ Moore not regressing on touchdown to And it is odd because he he doesn't. I mean, I don't know if there's something that Julio Jones thing. I mean, at this point, like he's getting old enough to where he probably will not have scored touchdowns for an entire NFL <laughs> career. So we'll think. Right. I don't think he ever it. has. Yeah. So what happened know. more recently? Julio Jones scored a touchdown, or you drafted a running back? Well, Julio Jones scored a touchdown because I've never drafted. I think so. Right. 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 Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's easy. That's an easy one. <laughs> Um, yeah, so DJ Moore uh, is a yards after the cat. I mean, that's kind of what he does. Like, you could see him operating as like a Robert Woods type of guy. So that the lack of touchdowns really don't make intuitive sense. It does feel just kind of like he's run bad there. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right, man. So far, you've gone Jonathan Taylor, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, uh, DJ Moore. I really like that. I think I like this, the way they're shaping up here. Now, ADP would tell you, you got to go Jerry Judy. Then you got to turn around and go Lamar Jackson. Thoughts. I'm doing it again. Doing what the I like the says. UG. I like the UG that you put next to Javante Williams. Because <laughs> well, it's an UG of I wanted Javante Williams. Why? Why is this ADP? Because I've I've been getting him in the sixth round. So I thought I mm. searched. I did the Control F on the spreadsheet uh-huh. looking for Javante, thinking okay, I'll grab mm-hmm. him in the sixth. Gone. I, you know, Gone. You hate to see that. So that's one of the reasons, right? I was talking about before we got into this taking the running back early because you go, oh, I'll just grab Javante Williams in the sixth. Well, then he goes in the fifth. Uh, goes you know, before your pick here at five twelve, you know you can you can kind of be left out now. If you're going to get kind of locked out at any position, it's actually running back's not a, a bad position to kind of locked out in because that so much opens up over the course of the year. You can find guys cheap, or you're going to be able to get like an easy kind of week one start out of the James Whites, the Gio Bernards, even a Gus Edwards type, right? So you can you can kind of figure this out pretty easily. At the same time, you do want to have some upside at the position. And that's the thing that I think really gets priced up. And the FFPC drafters are not going to just scoop upside. Like I think that's the way in which they're the sharpest. They're, they're going to target the guys with big end-of-the-year upside breakout profiles. So I've gotten Javante Smith in the sixth round of these, and I love it. Um, but here, wasn't available. I did take Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy's a guy, if it is Teddy Bridgewater, now that looks more likely. And uh, I think he could be a great fit with Teddy Bridgewater you mentioned Deontay Johnson. I mean, it's kind of a similar, I think he might end up being kind of like a similar breakout bet this year. And he was a better prospect than Deontay. 
And he also operated deep downfield in that Sutton role because he had to. He dropped a lot of balls, but he got open, you know, so he can get open now at all areas of the field. I mean, that is a coveted skill set for real life and fantasy. So Jerry Judy, I'm excited about getting him all the way at the end of the fifth is nice. Claypool almost made it here. I probably would have taken Claypool if he had, mm-hmm. but uh, didn't get all the way there. Jamar Chase in this ADP, by the interesting. I wonder if he starts falling after another drops people over. Given the ADP, taking Jerry Judy, and then uh, I had I had considered Dak for the stack, but now mm. I don't have Cooper, so I'm going Lamar Jackson. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, well, are you are you going Lamar Jackson? Are I am going Lamar Jackson? Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I like Lamar Jackson. Okay. Stacking in these managed leagues is it? I kind of like to do it if I have the chance, but it's not critical. And obviously, Jackson's a guy like even DFS. You're not worried about like double stacks necessarily. So, um, you know, because he gets his legs, and I. I think he could with Bateman, and it sounds like so much of this stuff is interesting. I, I want to get your thoughts. On, I want to get your thoughts on <laughs> yeah, Bateman sure. too, because it sounds like he is ahead of schedule. And if Bateman is good this year, I think it could be a big difference for the passing offs. I think it could be a bit more high volume as they move to the pass a little bit. They brought in, I believe, two passing game coordinators this year to work with Greg Roman. They they have, and then they draft a, a wide receiver first round. They add Sammy Watkins. They draft a wide receiver in the fourth round. They, They've shown kind of that that is the plan a little bit, not to fundamentally change the offense, but to just kind of tweak it and get it a little bit, little bit more pass heavy. Uh, I think that would be great for Jackson if it comes with a healthy Bateman, because then I think we're more volume and that high efficient too. So um, if as long as Bateman and, and Marquise Brown are going to be good season health wise, I'm pretty excited about Lamar. So I think with Bateman, um, when it when it came out that he was going to have surgery, there were a couple different procedures that could have happened. Um, they could have gotten in there and realized that it was worse. It seems like since he started running routes today, it, that that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, otherwise, you would have expected about an eight recovery. This one sounds like he could potentially be back but within the four to six week timeline, which would put him, if I remember correctly, this happened on God, what day did he have surgery? I think it was like the 11th or the 12th one to I think it. we would put him at like week three or four. Okay. Like I think he'd be he could be back by like three or four, um, which I think at this point, given the fact, like I said, that he just started running routes, is totally plausible. But we just, I, I'm always real careful with soft tissue stuff, especially like groin procedures, simply because those can fail. Um, mm-hmm. The tissue healing is really important, and you really need to take care not too much too soon. So I don't think they'll rush him along necessarily. But based on what we're seeing already, I think it's totally plausible to have him back by week four if it was the sort of the lesser of the procedures that they could have done. So that's sort of what I that's where my mind is right now without doing on it right now. Okay. That's that's exciting. I mean, Bateman is a guy I'm not really drafting uh so much. I was drafting a lot of him before, but I'm not really drafting him now. But I am optimistic, you know, be really good this year down the stretch, you know, help facilitate Lamar Jackson explore. Um right, hundred percent. And I, I don't want to drop him where I have him. But he's not his ADP <laughs> cut hasn't fallen quite as far as I haven't been hanging either. People are in on him, man. I think people are in on bait. I mean, Sammy Watkins is going to blow up for 50 points in week one, right? Mm-hmm. Check. Marquise Brown is going to catch one ball for 60 yards. Check. Um, then Bateman's going to step in, I think, once he's healthy. Everything that offense needs. I don't know. I'm excited about and Then again, I was excited for Marquise Brown. Were you in on Marquise Brown? I wasn't Last super year. in on Marquise Brown. I was I was intrigued by him. I had some, but I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah, I. I I was too excited on Keith Brown. So far, who you have is Jonathan Taylor, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, Amari, oh no, DJ Moore, <laughs> Jerry Judy, Lamar Jackson. ADP will tell you Tyler Higby and Devonta Smith are your next picks. 
what say you? Yeah, I'm actually feeling uh, a little bit uh, uneasy at wide receiver. I've just been sniped mm-hmm. here on LaVisca Chenault, who should have made it back to 712 because I wanted him. This is but, this is coming down. This is this is playing out exactly how you said it was going to play out, isn't it? Uh, I, I guess so. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the situation is, I, I feel like, you know, I would like to actually have more wide receivers through this part like the way i think about it is kind of going like you're taking a detour so i took a detour for a running back in the first round i took a detour for tj hawkins in the third round then i took a detour for lamar jackson which i should have mentioned i mean i do think there was a tear break at wide receiver so or a tear break in the sense that like lavisca would have been a pretty big reach and so uh kind of playing this like i would actually play it i don't think i'm taking visca there at six one probably um so i would you know, with Lamar there, it's like, why don't we go Lamar and see if he gets back and just barely doesn't. Um, but the end result is that I have three wide receivers, six rounds, which I'm honestly not loving. Uh, I will go ahead actually and take a running back at the seven twelve. Um, this because I know he's not coming back because I to the future. AJ Dillon here. <laughs> uh, I'm just grabbing as my RB two. Pretty excited about AJ Dillon. Ben Gretsch has been getting me really excited about AJ Dillon. Um, when you're Going wide receiver heavy, normally I'm wide receiver here than this. Um, you're looking for guys who can usually, you know, have some standalone value, help get you through the early part of the season. But then you also want guys who have this contingent. The guy ahead of them unexpectedly disappoints, doesn't have a great year. They can work into a bigger role or gets hurt. Then they can have this big increase in their actual role over the course of the season, the volume projection midseason. AJ Dillon has both of those. He's a guy that we feel pretty confident in. If you're if you're saying running back two is going to be my lowest scoring position, AJ Dillon is going to be my, my running back two. That that works. You know that that definitely is fine. Um, and then on top of that, all of a sudden AJ Dillon can have 15, 16 points a game if things break right and and it's a potentially high powered offense. He could have a really valuable role if uh, weren't involved. So. AJ Dillon, normally I'm getting like in the ninth round. I was actually surprised to see so high in the 80 list, but um, a guy I wanted to mention, someone I've been taking a lot of, and I, and I think I would be totally comfortable to take 712 if, if the ADP really set in stone to where I knew I could have in the ninth. I mean, Michael Gallup is the guy I'm going with here at 801. If Amari Cooper, you know, if we've got concerns about him, then Michael Gallup could be someone who ends up benefiting. If Cooper even to miss a couple weeks, you know, we would be yeah. very excited about Michael Gallup. The, I guess the only open question here is this Dak shoulder concern. So I'll throw that to you. Uh, it, it, like how much should we be discounting Gallup because of the Dak? Very little. The The thing that made everybody freak out was when Schefter went on national television and said that Dak isn't back yet. Dak might not be back all year. And that was not a report. And and, I, and you guys over at uh, NBC Sports Edge did a good job of clarifying in the blurb itself. Like this was not a report. And I think that's like super relevant to say that it wasn't Schefter saying Dak isn't 100% and he's not going to be 100%. Um, in terms of the ankle, the ankle has no bearing on anything anymore. He's re- completely recovered from the ankle. Um, we, we haven't heard any reports that he's had setbacks. And this, it, it was a nasty, gruesome injury, but he sh- by now it's definitely recovered. Um, and then you, heard, I think it was Pilicero who a little bit later tweeted out, you know, the shoulder injury has nothing to do with the ankle injury. The shoulder MRI came back and Dak's progressing fine. Everything is looking rosy. There's no reason, no objective reason to really worry about Dak for the shoulder or for the uh, ankle. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm taking all the, I'm sort of gobbling up any Dak that's falling further than he should. So I wouldn't speak about that. Oh, I love to hear that. I just, I just took 
some Dak CMC best ball builds over Ooh. on NFS. So I'm very excited dirty. about that. That's a dirty lineup already. Yeah, just those two. Felt, felt good, <laughs> but then I was like, I, am I just am I just kind of putting some uh, some hope? Am I just hope casting on this thing? But that that makes me feel a lot better. And I I thought that Schefter report. Uh, I don't know. Jeff, Jeff's not a doctor. I don't really care what he has to say about when Dak's getting back. Um, it's sort that yeah, that, I, I agree hundred percent. Like when Schefter comes out and says, Oh, this dude's going to be out four weeks. Those are reports you typically believe with Schefter. I've never run into like Schefter's really reliable, but when he's just like, just pure conjecture giving his opinion. Yeah. I'm not listening to Yeah. He's, a, to he's Schefter, a really, really reliable journalist. He's a very, very good journal. If you're just, you know, and then also people have their own opinions. And so I think we can treat um hundred percent. So we are here and you've taken Jonathan Taylor, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, DJ Moore, Jerry Judy. I mean, I think it's a pretty good lineup so far. Uh, Lamar Jackson. You just took AJ Dillon, Michael Gallup. ADP would tell you it's time to take Jalen Waddle and Jamal Williams. Are you gonna do that? ADP's almost right. ADP thinks I should take a, a Dolphins wide receiver. <laughs> and I am. Yeah. I'm taking Will Fuller. I'm taking yes. Will Fuller. Will Fuller is an incredible real-life NFL wide receiver. I've already taken four wide receivers in this build, and I've already taken two running backs. So my flex spot's filled for week one. I don't care about the suspension. You know, if anything, he's like, now we have another guy who's like got maybe some minor health question marks, but that's even less of a concern because he only has to be ready for week two. Um, but two will look good in the, in the preseason game. I think they're going to be more pass-heavy. I think you know, second year leap potential for Tua, another year off his hip injury. So a lot of reason to think that Tua could end up being better than we, you know, saw last year and better than we were kind of initially thinking. he And one of the reasons that that could be the case is because Will Fuller makes every quarterback he plays with better. So if Will Fuller is going to help drive the breakout here for Tua, then I want Will Fuller. I think Jalen Waddle's a, a very exciting prospect. He profiles like he's probably – I don't think he's going to have a high-volume role in the offense, um, which is okay. I think with rookies, you do want to be betting on them to be efficient. Um, but I get a guy who I think is also going to be efficient, Will Fuller, and also can be the number one uh, target share guy in the offense like, pretty easily. He is, at this point in their careers, more talented in NFL wide receiver Jalen Waddell and I think the most talented wide receiver on the team pretty easily. I'm not – I'm. I, Parker is, is a capable wide receiver, but what Will Fuller does, the value that he brings down the field is really elite. He's not a complete wide receiver, but he does what, what he does as good as basically anybody. So um, I'm very excited about him helping to bring this offense forward. If he was on a different team, if he was on a, an offense we were already excited about, I think we would be completely overlooking the one suspension. We care about it at all. And I know there's like kind of the injury prone tag with him last year. And there's an easy narrative of like, oh, he's injury prone, and then he doesn't get hurt and gets popped for PEDs. Like, you know, maybe those are related, but like, I don't know, man. All I, I don't want to get like too in the weeds on that stuff. Like, that is not my area no, of expertise. No, no. So I'm like, I'm just betting on a guy who I know is super, super talented, and when he's on the field, he's crushing, and I think can lift the lid on this offense. Here's the thing about Will Fuller: he played all 13 games both years that he was in. I think, oh, actually, he was, I don't know if he was there two or three years, but I know the last two years he played 100% of the games that he was there, or he missed one. I don't remember because I'm doing this off the top of my head. Sorry. But moral story, he's played a high percentage of the games that he's been involved in. Then he got to the NFL and he's had some really bad luck. The first year um, that he had a hamstring issue, okay, he had a hamstring issue, right? A lot of NFL wide receivers. Then he had the ACL tear. 
Then he came back and he was set. He wasn't really set up for success. You know, he had hamstring issues. 20% of NFL skill players since 2015 have had hamstring, groin, soft tissue issues the year after they have an ACL surgery. Okay. So then we come back 2020, Will Fuller, right? Gets through most of the, I don't know what, what week he finally got popped for, for, for the PED. Um, and he'd been mostly healthy. So then the narrative is, well, he was taking PEDs. Obviously he was, you know, staying healthy because of the PED. It's, I, it's a lot more complicated. Like if we're really acting like good little scientists, um, there were too many confounders there. We know he changed his diet. We know he changed his strength and conditioning program. We know we hired a, um, a new like health coach. We know that he did a lot of stuff other than. I know, also don't think they don't make like that. healthy pills, right? Like there's not like a PD that just keeps you healthy. Is there? No, exactly. No. And that's what, that's the next okay. point I was going to make is, so my wife is a pharmacist. And so like, I, 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 she doesn't even like care about any of this. Right. So she's not an NFL fan at all. I was like, will you look at this list for me, please? Of like the banned substances. And I, and she was like, yeah, there's no real literature to show that th- there's th- any of this would really keep him healthy in terms of like soft tissue strains. Cause that's his primary issue. Um, theoretically, yeah, there are some plausible mechanisms. We don't really know if it would even help. And then the other, like much more simple, uh, issue or a much more simple, uh, I guess, theory on this is that somebody gave him a pre-workout that had some banned substance that he shouldn't have taken. Like that's also a possibility. Like we just don't know. And there are too many confounders to say the reason he stayed healthy was because of the PEDs. Moral story. That's all a long-winded way to say that. Like I'm in on Will Fuller one more year, especially with his ADP here. Like he's sitting out the 112 overall. Like I'm in on that. Like I'm, 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 riding with will fuller one more year because i do think that last year was we got a glimpse of what he could be when he's healthy and i think he can stay healthy since he stayed healthy in college um i'm in, I'm in on will fuller and i i like to hear that you're in on awesome um the next pick here at this turn is uh tony pollard and if i had not taken aj Dillon, and to be honest in a fair amount of drafts i wouldn't have because I, i'm used to getting him in the ninth so you know maybe i would just to this point have jonathan taylor in that case I would go Gus Edwards, who's also sitting here. Gus Edwards showing, you know, he's going to have a valuable role in this Ravens offense. He's going to be a true committee, I think, with J.K. Dobbins. Has some touchdown upside. Kind of a standalone value play, similar to like a James White, Giovanni Bernard, Naheem Hines, like pass catching guy, but the you're banking on a touchdown. So it's going to be a little bit more volatile, but I think he also comes with more upside um, as well. Uh, and because he also has contingent value, not like the massive contingent value, but uh, if Dobbins were to go down, I would have really, really nice. Stand. So he's a guy that I, I think about here, but Tony Pollard is the, the running back that I think offers something that becomes unavailable later. Like there are guys who are kind of handcuffed types like Pollard is, but if Pollard was in this role, I mean, we would be so excited about drafting Tony Pollard in a way where like if Samaje Piran, you know, if Joe Mixon were to miss some time, Samaje Piran is not going to be a, a second or third. Like I think Pollard, we would be more excited about than we are about Devin Singletary, or uh, not Singletary, about uh, Daryl Henderson. Definitely not Devin Singletary, unless you got definitely a, you got not a Devin Singletary. take on that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Didn't know if you had yeah. something up your sleeve on that one. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, no. So yeah, Daryl Henderson. I also think Daryl Henderson's ADP is also a little bit... Um, lower than it would be if we didn't weren't all kind of doing these tournaments where we don't want to take Daryl Henderson makers injury. So in a normal or a you know kind of past NFL offseason, I wonder if Daryl Henderson's AD would be more like the mid third. Um, but anyway, so Pollard I think has that upside that you're not really going to find later. Alexander Madison is available in this range. Um he's similar, but I think even with Madison we wouldn't be as excited 
because we would expect a, a play third downs, you know, be kind of more of a role. Tony Pollard would, you know, he could potentially have like a down role in the Dallas Cowboys offense. I'm saying about Dak shoulder, not being a huge, this offense can score a ton as long as everything's good with Dak. So that's kind of the, what I'm thinking. Like, what, what do I have? I already have guys that I feel comfortable starting week one. What stops being available later? Um, it's the elite. So I like being able to get. I like what you mentioned about Tony Pollard and how you'd be more excited. Basically, just from the situation and talent standpoint, he I do agree that he is more of a more exciting than somebody like Alexander Madison. Um, that's when I start to look at like the plausibility of injury. And we can't predict injury, right? But we do play the odds. Dalvin Cook isn't the safest 1.02 of all time. He's mm-hmm. had three shoulder dislocations since high school. Uh, the greater the amount of exposures he has, the more likely it is to occur again. So based on a purely sort of um, like volume perspective, if if I'm looking at Tony Pollard versus Alexander Madison, I do get um, excited about Tony Pollard. And I think that that's a little bit of standalone value is there. Um, but then I'm like, man, it's much more likely if we're playing the odds, it's mm-hmm. much more likely Dalvin Cook goes down than Zeke goes down. Um, so that's where I struggle. So I've been trying to get a little bit of both, but I do like this. I do like this Pollard pick. I think I think it makes a ton. Of- Madison is a guy I've been taking a ton in best ball because he goes a lot cheaper. The gap here mm-hmm. is much much mm-hmm. tighter than on right. a lot of other sites, and so Madison's actually, I believe, on underdog. He might be my highest on running. So um, I'm with you on Madison. I mean, it is exciting if you can get him in like the 14th round, um, which is where I usually am getting him on. on uh, then that is also a case of this is not available later. This is, you know, a guy who would take, you know, we'd be drafting Madison, maybe it'd be more like the sixth or seventh round, but a huge ADP in a way that you probably wouldn't see from guys in that, in that same range. So uh, I, I, I like Madison a lot. It's interesting that they're kind of close to you, Pollard and, and Madison, because I haven't really had to make that decision. The ADP usually has them enough of a spread to where I can kind of think through them a little. Um, I, I, I haven't been, dra- <laughs> this is going to sound not, not great, but I haven't been drafting in the sharpest of rooms, I would say. Um, well, so I'm money, not in so. rooms like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And it, it is not by intention, right? I get invited to these things. So, and it's not to say I'm like the smartest dude in the room or anything, but the, you know, those leagues where there's like, you get one or two like off the wall picks that just totally mm-hmm. alter what everybody does. And that's sort of, that's, that, those are the rooms I've been in this year. I've just tend to put. Okay, so we're looking at, from the beginning, Jonathan Taylor, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, Amari, nope, I I still haven't highlighted, not Amari Cooper, TJ Moore, Jerry Judy, Lamar Jackson, AJ Dillon, Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard, Will Fuller ADP will tell you it's Gerald Everett and Rondale Moore time. Oh, I love me some Rondale Moore, honestly. I want to hear your thoughts on Rondale Moore, but are you going to go Gerald Everett, Rondale Moore? Yep, I am. (laughs) ADP ADP slave, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's there, it's there, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get too crazy, but um, Everett is someone I like a lot. Um, Pete Overzet has been uh, on Everett since the very beginning, this off season, getting me excited about him. And I think it makes a ton of sense. You've got an offense that I'm slowly getting more and more excited about where I just keep thinking, you know, Shane Waldron Rams passing game coordinator goes to Seattle. And we know the narrative is that, you know, they, they got rid of the OC because he wasn't uh, passing or he's passing the ball too much. He wasn't running the ball enough. And, you know, Pete Carroll didn't like that. Well, Schottenheimer was not like this passing savant. He, he's like an old school, like he worked under Rex Ryan. He worked under Jeff Fisher. Like this guy's not Establisher. like, 
Yeah. He's an establish- he, one of the OG establishers, really. He, he is. He's one of the OG establishers. And so the idea of, okay, then he's he's trying to pass a little bit more and it's not going great. Well, Shane Waldron's going to come in and I don't care so much about what the pass run split is. If he's passing in an intelligent way, if he's designed an offense that's a little bit more creative, a little bit more complicated, that's not having DK Metcalf run the same routes over and over and over, which is actually true. Matt Harmon's reception perception. I went and like double checked this, make sure it was just a narrative I'd come up. No, that's he's just running like the same routes. Um, DK Metcalf can run some more. He's entering his third season. He's been crushing what he's been doing. I think he can he can add on a little bit more. You know, Tyler Lockett can certainly be used in more versatile ways. They brought in Dwayne Eskridge to be you know kind of this wild card type of guy. I, I think he's, I don't think he's that that great but you know still a good sign that you could see a modern offense in Se- and a modern offense in seattle like that's exciting i mean what if they what if they do like a little bit of rpo stuff with russell wilson like why ha- that's never really happened it would make sense to do it like if there's you know if Rus- if the whole seattle offense was traded to the rams we would be taking these guys i mean i know dk metcalf's expensive and i know tyler lockett's not cheap but we would be taking these guys like way earlier than we are um and not to say that that's going to happen because this is still a Pete Carroll team, but there could be a shift in Seattle that's really exciting. Gerald Everett's a really cheap way to get exposure to that. And in a tight end premium league, there's upside with that. So I like Gerald Everett as that second tight end that takes TJ Hawkinson and says in his tight end premium format, all of a sudden TJ Hawkinson is a flex player. If Ger- Gerald Everett hits, he's my starting tight end. So now it's like, I, as I mentioned before, I want to be score. I want to be winning the flex because that's that's why I'm always thinking about wide receivers. Is that I want to win those flex spots. I want to score more points in the flex than my opponents. And then if my RB two is like not scoring that many points, so what? Because I'm lapping the field in the flexes. I'm more than making up those RB two points. Everyone else is focused on what their RB two is going to do. I'm focused on what my flex is going to do, and I'm outscoring you in the flex. You're not able to catch me there. I think the Gerald Everett pick helps me take T.J. Hawkinson. And fully capture his upside because you know he can be he can be a flex player for me. And now it's really like Gerald Everett compete with you know the wide receivers that I might be trying to fill the flex later. So uh, I like him. And then Rondale Moore, uh, I'm excited. You're in on Rondale Moore. I think he's just like an absolute smash. He's a guy until recently did not have any exposure to in the main event. Did get a share. Very very excited about that. He is someone I've you know been been drafting on in best ball really throughout. I wrote this article in NBC Sports Edge uh, back in, I believe, June, maybe early July, um, where I was looking at rookie wide receivers in best ball, and they've been they've been doing excellent as best ball picks over the last few years, and how rookie wide receivers are delivering value. It's not because they run a ton of routes. Even guys like Justin Jefferson running below average routes as rookies uh, compared to top 40 ADP wide receivers. So even the guys that absolutely smash are running below average routes. They're not they're not these super high volume wide receivers. They're getting there on efficiency. And a guy like Rondell Moore, he's not going to have to run every single route out of the slot. Like if they're mixing in Christian Kirk into the slot a little bit, that's okay. I think Rondell Moore is still going to get plenty of routes. Um, you know, he's going to kind of meet the, the minimum threshold that we need for a rookie breakout. And then what he can do in terms of efficiency, in terms of yards per route run with defensive attention on DeAndre Hopkins, with Kyler Murray, a threat in the run. Like there's so many things that can uh, not not to leave this out. Rondale Moore is an incredible prospect. Rondale Moore squatting and like absurd weights as, as a freshman was, was 400 pound. The freshman viral video, right? Um, yeah, like four Graham Barfields. Yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah, Yeah, um, (laughs) you know, the the a yak machine, uh, freshman, true freshman breakout. Um, Obviously, he struggled with injuries as well. That that might be a concern, but uh, if he you know is healthy in this offense, I just think he he's an incredible bet for this efficient rookie season. Been the key to unlocking the breakout. So I was kind of shocked to see him in this ADP list to be able to get him at the 1201, but pounding that. I feel like you just chose an ADP that was the closest to what you'd been doing. And you were like, here, yeah, this is this is ADP. And you just, I don't know. But no, no, these are, these are good. This is a good build so far, man. I like this. I like getting your takes too. So, um, and and what were your concerns with, uh, were there health concerns for you with Rondell Moore? Well, you, is that what it was? I don't have any health concern, concerns with Rondell Moore, but I think that's like why there hasn't been so much enthusiasm for him, in, at least in terms of his prospect profile, because he had this true freshman breakout and then mm-hmm. injury riddled uh, sophomore and junior years. And so I don't, I mean, he is a smaller guy. He's 5'7". Uh, mm-hmm. It's like 181 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would understand that people might be worried about how he transfers to the, the NFL in terms of staying healthy and everything, given that he struggled to stay healthy in college. That's a reasonable concern, mm-hmm. but the upside, I mean, we're swinging for upside here in the 12th right. uh, and he's, he's got it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be too concerned. I think, I do think he's one of those players uh, similar to like sermon who I want to see them prove it, but I think their upside is definitely worth it. Given, given the 80, um, I'm not too. Con- so here we are again from the top, Jonathan Taylor, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, Amari Cooper, Jerry Judy, Lamar Jackson. I said Amari Cooper did again, didn't I? I'm going to unhighlight that round this second. Unhighlight. We're going to start over. I'm going to read from the 1.12. Everybody that Pat has selected, and that starts with Jonathan Taylor, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, DJ Moore, Jerry Judy, Lamar Jackson, AJ Dillon, Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard, Will Fuller, Gerald Everett, Rondale Moore. The next two on this list say you should take Rashad Bateman and Zach Gross Ertz. What are your thoughts? My thoughts how is are, Zach Ertz even? How is Zach Ertz even one fifty seven? Like what? What is going on? I I share some blame that I've been I've been keeping Zach Ertz's name alive. Um, oh, Pat. I have. I've said. Is Zach it, I Ertz. mean, I mean, convince me. I mean, really. I mean, genuinely convince me. Well, to be clear, I am not selecting Zach Ertz, but I I'm just saying that I've been. Well, I have been selecting Zach Ertz and underdog a little bit, <laughs> a little bit frequently, more frequently than like, I would okay, like to yeah. admit. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I've advocated for taking him in this format as well with the tight end premium, but not here, not at the 13 four turn. That's a little, that's, uh, but I don't know. People just acted like Zach Ertz wasn't going to play football th- this year because he was really bad at it last year. And he <laughs> was very clear that he did intend to play football this year. And there's just not that many tight ends who are essentially receivers. Right. I was, I was telling, right. I was telling Davis, like Davis Maddock, like if we, if we were able to draft Larry Fitzgerald as a tight end last year, we would have been kind of excited about it. <laughs> like the tight end eligibility <laughs> on dusty wide receiver. Like what if AJ Green yeah. was a tight end, you know, like right. all, any, right, pick right, your right. dusty wide receiver and give them tight end eligibility. It's like all of a sudden, like we'd be, we'd be like, ah, oh, I mean, who's I, your guilty pleasure? Round who's pick. your guilty pleasure? Dusty wide receiver. And overall, I mean, I, it's Zach Ertz. Is that uh, the only guilt, the yeah. only guilty pleasure, dusty player that I have. Because I'm not taking AJ Green. I'm not taking any of these yeah, dusty exactly. guys. I don't. I don't really. Um, I, I don't make people mad, but does Sterling Shepard count? I, I sometimes make. Oh make yeah, some, yeah. He's I not. Like he's not really. He's like I don't know. He's like 28 years dusty. Uh, Jameson Crowder actually would be like if you would kind of just mm, talk about like boring veterans. 
Jameson Crowder is my my guilty pleasure. Triple, quadruple, contemplate Jameson Crowder. Yeah. I do like that one. Yeah. And and he's not even old, but he is on the last year of almost got cut. So it kind of qualifies. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I thought that whole situation was kind of weird how they kept him around. But then they have Elijah Moore waiting in the wings. I don't I don't know. What do you make of that? I mean, the fact that they decided he wasn't worth what he was making, even though they're way below the cap, was like incredibly insulting and unnecessary. Like the Jets were basically like, we just don't want to pay you this money because we'd like rather have it to do stuff with. Like, like you know what I mean? They weren't like we yeah, need that. Yeah. Like we're below the cap or above the cap. Like we gotta give. They're just like money is useful and you're not. So that was like right. a pretty rude thing to say. But yeah. Um, at the same time, they did figure it out. He's back, and that wasn't coming from the coaching staff. So, and the other thing, the I think the other key piece of information is that Elijah Moore has been used on the outside all throughout training camp as well as in the slot. And when he was selected, it seemed like, okay, he's a new slot receiver. He's 178 pounds. He's like 5'9", kind of classic that he would he would start in the slot. There's this contract dispute. It, it all kind of worked out perfectly. They're in cut Crowder. He's the new slot guy. But then even like with Crowder not there, they're using him in training camp on the outside. Um, they were using like Berrios and stuff in the slot as well. So uh, if Elijah Moore has an incredible rookie year, if he's everything we're dreaming he might be, I think that's now partially coming on the outside where he's going to play ahead of Keelan Cole. So Jamison Crowder might stand to benefit a little bit from again, a, a more exciting passing offense than we're expecting. Crowder might be on the field for some of those Elijah Moore, uh, quite a bit of the Elijah Moore uh, snaps. And, and you know, uh, maybe Elijah Moore is getting a little bit of attention and just obviously being out there is worth the most. So, yeah, Crowder is a professional NFL wide receiver who can play. He's good at what he does. Um, and if, if the three wide receiver set ends up being Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and James Crowder for the most part, then you know Crowder I think is pretty good at DP. Although I also am not taking Crowder here. So I've now talked about two P. Would you? <laughs> where are you at on Bateman? Like, is Bateman too early to take in the thirteen at the thirteen, twelve, fourteen, oh one? Is that no, too pricey for you? No, no, it's not. Not not anywhere near compared to what his upside is. Absolutely not. Especially since you've already filled out. I mean, this is like a full build by now. There's no reason not to take Bateman. Like, especially if he's back by week three or four, whatever it is. Um, and those surgeries do really well, by the way, those like don't have a very high recurrence rate as long as you, you let the tissue healing happen. Um, and they also don't impact, uh, any type of like performance. There's actually study done on like 60 NFL players after these surgeries and they don't impact performance whatsoever. Obviously exceptions exist, but no, given everything that you've done already through, you know, whatever, 12, 13 rounds, like I'm totally fine with Bateman at this point. I'm taking Bateman. And I'll then. let you take Earth. I'll no, no take I don't want Earth. I'm not taking You do have Earth okay. highlighted on this sheet, which is tilting me. I do. I didn't take <laughs> Wait, who did you take? Yeah, okay. We just had an entire conversation. Yeah. Yeah, you did. You I asked me about Earth. Oh, we've only got through one. Defending Earth. Yeah, I took. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've talked about two players and I've taken none. I'm taking Rashad Bateman now. Um, yeah, I got the stack as well. I took Lamar earlier. Bateman was an incredible prospect. The whole Ravens thing isn't ideal. They're not going to be passing as much. You know, we would have preferred him to land on the team, all things equal. But the all things equal part of that is very important. He was a first round pick. Like we want guys who are first round NFL picks. That matters. An NFL scouting department just vouched for this guy in a big, big way. Like that's a big deal to me. And I, it, it's a bigger deal to me than if he was a second round pick. It's similar, but like, you know, you see Denzel Mims, second round draft capital, not a great, but not a terrible first round year, a first round, uh, first season. And then all of a sudden, you know, everyone's very cool on him with a new coaching staff. So 
that first round draft capital, I think, really does help. And Bateman, as well, really has everything that we're for. Early declare wide receiver, uh, incredibly productive. He played inside and out. People don't like what he was doing uh, tape-wise in the slot last year as much as what he was uh, on the outside in 2019. He led the entire nation in yards per route run from the outside in 2019. So it makes sense that no, his tape wasn't as the following year out of the slot. But he actually had a good yards per out run out of the slot, and he was very efficient. Or he was very um, uh, he was a huge huge share of the receiving game out of the slot as well. He had very strong production from market share perspective in his final season. So his it's not like his numbers really tailed off. Um, so yeah, he was uh, I just think a very very strong prospect with that first round draft capital. If he's going to ultimately be healthy down the stretch for this team, I'm looking for big swings. I'm looking for guys who can pop in a huge way. Guys who are like making it very obvious for me that I that I have to put them in my starting lineup and bait. You know, he's definitely he fits that profile. So I'm going to go with him, and I'm going to take another big swing here and go with Jalen Rager, who Ooh. is scaring me a little bit. Uh, I you know watched him look pretty terrible in the preseason game. Uh, like he he looked bad, but. The whole the, the whole thing here is, is like, he is he just bad, Pat? Like he might be yeah, just he, bad. He might be bad. He honestly might be bad. But he was a guy who had a very strong prospect profile as well. Now, for over his entire career, he wasn't as strong as Bateman, but he had a breakout season as an underclassman and then declared early for the draft and went in the first round. That's I mean, and he's got the he's got the requisite size. He's not huge, but he's also not like tiny tiny. So there's not really any like major red flags on Jalen Rager. What a way to word that. What a way to word that. <laughs> Is that a medical Continue. term? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> I've heard that phrase. I've heard that phrase, unfortunately, before. Anyway, continue. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so, so Jalen Rager. Threw you off there. Threw you off a little bit. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. That, yeah, okay. Um, anyway, so Jalen Rager <laughs> might also be having a, a tough time. And he's, uh, he's, he's definitely like a guy where things could swing pretty volatile. There's a volatile swing, right? There's a wide range of outcomes with Jalen Rager. But this is the 1401. I want a wide range of outcomes. You know, uh, AJ Green's sitting here and he does not have a wide range of outcomes. He's actually probably got a lower floor and he doesn't have high ceiling. So like, give me a guy who does have, and I'm not sure how this season's going to play out for this guy type of outlook. That's like what we're, that's actually the target profile. So um, if I have to cut my 14th round pick, in a managed league, so what? But if my 14th round pick has a reasonable chance of breaking through, building on some of the highlight stuff that he's already shown, you know, and I, you know, whatever, like highlight catches on Twitter, that's not like something that we want. We want to be taking too too seriously. But at least he's flashing that's, a that's little bit. That's strictly how I view my players. I yeah. strictly go from Twitter highlights. So yeah, I've been doing this wrong the whole time, apparently. <laughs> But, you know, in the context of this was a guy who we thought was a very high ceiling prospect with the first round draft capital entering a second year, flashing, making people excited is a good sign because it's also coming with him having trouble getting open in a preseason game, looking like, you know, he has no chance of catching the balls that Joe Flacco's throwing him. So it's coming with all this (laughs) other terrible stuff. So we do like to to see that he also flashes from time to time. Um, So, yeah, give me give me the volatile guy. Give me the guy that. You know what? If I have to cut a dude in week two, I'm gonna want to cut someone because there's gonna be someone to pick up. So, um, yeah, big big swing, and uh, not not too worried about it given the cost here. Absolutely. So here we are, from the one point one two, 
Pat is selected. Jonathan Taylor, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, DJ Moore, Jerry Judy, Lamar Jackson, AJ Dillon, Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard, Will Fuller, Gerald Everett, Rondell Moore, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Rieger. Pat, we've been going an hour now. You got four more, six more picks. You want to, you want to stop here or you want to keep going and fill, fill your bench? Well, this is the part where I have to start taking running back. So I'm cool to cool to call it. I'm cool to continue then as well because <laughs> this 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 is the interest. This is where you're going to get the gold here. So you filled your roster. You're well, ready. I to was roll. saying we could stop, so I don't have to talk about running backs. But I, no, we no, can no. also we can also <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna. I was hoping you're gonna say that too. So here we are. The next two picks. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. I'm sorry. I know he's I probably out there are. listening at some point. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, the, and then the Baltimore Ravens defense. Um, I laugh. Maybe you are going to take a defense. I don't know. Tell me what, what are you going to do here? Uh, I'm going to take Quadri Allison. That's definitely one of these two guys. I think you're getting maybe a guy who has some standalone value, ambiguous backfield. We have a journeyman running back ahead of him. Uh, I believe 28 years old. Really seemed like yep. he kind of like burned out a little bit down the stretch, and yep. um, I just don't know if he's going to be able to carry the load for them. And Allison's this like bigger running back that they've clearly favored as the running back two there. I don't know how good he ultimately is, but it's at a certain point, you know, I just want shots at a backfield that I think could ultimately be valuable, and I want ambiguous backfields. What were the two most? If we just like sat down and ranked, like I'm not sure what's going to happen in this backfield. We probably would have ranked them last year, Jacksonville number one and Miami number two, right? And it's like, who were the the best, the very best selections you could have taken were were James Robinson and Miles Gaskin. So the um, just getting getting shots on goal in these ambiguous backfields like Horton. So Allison was not someone earlier on. I was taking. I was taking more Javian Hawkins. As soon as it looked like Allison's actually running back two, I just switched that to Allison. I'm not that concerned about the talent evaluations. And I, it's not that Allison like can't play or anything, but um, I just don't know, just don't really have a strong on whether or not he's that talented, but um, it might ultimately Quadre Olsen is He's six, two and 200 pounds. Yeah. He's a mammoth of a man. Yeah. He was a fifth round draft pick in 2019. He's currently 23. He played 13, 10, 12, 14 games at Pitt. Um, he, Actually rushed for 1,100 yards as a true freshman, surprising, and then as a senior rushed for 1,200 yards. Oh. And he has had 14, 2, 23, and 11 receptions. Um, I'm literally reading this for my own knowledge because I had I had only I'd only seen the name Quadre Allison, but I see the upside simply because I do think Mike Davis is just toast. I do think that running back Cliff um, is coming down the pike. I think Mike Davis has never really held up his own full workload for a full year. He's maybe, what would you say, a slightly above average NFL running back. Um, I just, I, I don't. I think he's below I average. I think yeah, he's. That's fair to say. And that's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, I'll so I, I totally see that pick. You know, he's not the 16th best running back. So, no, <laughs> you know, but I, but I you know, once you factor in, you know, all the backups and stuff. But as far as starters go, I mean, he's just like, he, he's quite below average for like a projected starter. For sure. Yeah, yeah. He's, so he's Allison is your pick real here. Life running back. Allison's the pick. Really? Um, he's probably a nice guy. He's probably and he's probably a great guy. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I would take Damian Williams over Mike uh, over Mike Davis. Like if I was like if I was running a, a franchise and I needed a, a running back for the season, and I just I, I would take Damian Williams. I mean, Damian Williams. We didn't know if he was going to. He did prior to taking the year off, but um, that's a he's been awesome at times and more or less been a ball. 
Um, anyway, right. uh, the 1100 yards is freshman. That's exciting. It's someone who actually does have that is interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. He kind of sa- he sandwiches to his sophomore and junior year with, uh, with a couple, couple, uh, thousand plus yard seasons his his the number of receptions is hilarious i mean he had less receptions than they had games played in most seasons that maybe you know maybe that changes so who's your next pick here i'm gonna go with ramondre stevenson uh which is someone i've cooled off on i was taking i was very excited about Mm. him early then i cooled on him because uh we you know weren't as as bullish about the sony michelle getting cut thing um, and he was clearly behind these guys in the pecking order. But dude is just balling out in the preseason right now, and the he's probably really talented argument is getting stronger. He's a versatile running back, second yard, second highest career yards per out run in this class behind Kenneth Gainwell. Uh, he had very strong elusive rating uh, throughout his career as well. Bigger back, but doesn't he's not a power back. He's actually got the ability to you know throw the spin move on a guy he can catch the ball like he can move in space a little bit so but on the other hand he, he can also be used pretty effectively at the goal line they're showing he basically using him as a workhorse kind of down the games which you don't want to see because you don't want him to be on the field but if he is going to be on the right. field right <laughs> that's that's at least you know better than him being used as a committee guy so uh i think the out here is does sony michelle get traded because they're like acting like, oh man, we really like Sony Michelle. Like he's gonna be a big part of the offense. Like we're gonna be playing him some. I don't know. Maybe they end up they're gonna ultimately want from him. So another situation where there's some volatility. Where he's he's probably more of like a, a waiver list, uh, watch list kind of guy. But there is at least like if you're in these leagues and, and these FFPC leagues now, they they do have a preseason waiver wire run. So if you're drafting today, you can throw back someone that you draft and pick up someone before the uh, off of wave. And Stevenson, I still think has enough upside to where Michelle ultimately isn't a part of this team heading into week one. Uh, like if that was the case, you know that Ramondre Stevenson would big time waiver at, he would be one of the guys that we're spending like a couple hundred bucks. So, you know, 16th round, um, I don't mind getting exposure. And I also just kind of want to. <laughs> the, the thing about that backfield is I just think it's such a, muddled situation um but if there's any like guiding pieces of information it's the fact that sony michelle's just unfortunately he's just mm-hmm. he's had like three knee procedures he's had like two foot procedures um he's got injury mileage surgery mileage which matters on his body i don't know how much burst he's ever had um and i don't know how much of what he even had in the beginning is left over. so i would not be shocked if I mean, I don't, I, this is totally out of my realm. I don't want to say like, oh, he's going to get cut or whatever, but like Sony Michelle is very much like physically volatile. His performance is like very much in question for me. I'm not sure what he's got left in the tank. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's just not playing down the stretch. And, um, so if that helps at all, if that makes any sense or gives any more clarity, then again, we don't ever know what the Patriots are going to, but yeah, I'm not, I'm totally out on Michelle. I just don't think he's got any, so I don't, I don't mind that pick at all. Yeah, and I think Stevenson probably is ultimately not going to be someone that you you have on your team in week three, right? Like, it's right. probably not happening early enough. You're probably moving on Stevenson. So it's more like a take a peek like where you want to, you want to, do we get any new information that's really, um, and if not, you can move on. But uh, I do think like week nine, week 10, like you're saying, if Michelle is really slowing down and they might, they might start to move on to another guy, that's possible they give him the Damien Harris 
from his rookie year and he just doesn't see the field. But that's fine because I, I like I'm saying, I think he's basically he's he's a waiver wire watch list guy. Um but yeah, you, you want to give yourself the out. Like if there's gonna be uh, a change in, in this backfield in terms of literally who's there, um you would like to have the upside already on. Absolutely. So the next picks here, we're looking at pick seventeen and eighteen. You have Ty Johnson. Tell me about it. Ty Johnson. Tell me all about Ty Johnson. I want to hear it. Two thirty two overall. Yeah, I mean, people just are you decided, gushing for Ty Johnson? I take Ty Johnson a lot. Like I take Ty Johnson more than Britt. He's like really <laughs> an inappropriate amount. Of Ty I Johnson. think I did full like a truly inappropriate amount. Family's um, concerned with how often you're taking. <laughs> it's I just don't really get like why he's always he's like the fallback guy. Like I, everyone else, I want I wanted is gone. So I guess I'll just take Ty Johnson again because. We never really knew that Michael Carter was the starter here. You know, it, it seemed like he probably would be. And that would, I mean, that was what I expected to happen, that Michael Carter would be the starter. But he's a fourth round rookie. He's, you know, maybe like, and I don't know, just kind of watching it. I'm like, is he the right scheme fit for this? He seems like kind of more of a dancer. He seems kind of more of like a pass catching kind of juvie type of guy. And it's like a one cut and go Shanahan offense. And when I'm, I'm seeing Ty Johnson there. It's like Ty Johnson's a one cut and go runner. Like there's no doubt about that. And he's actually, he's, he's like 210 pounds. He can catch the ball. He's fast, you know, and he's free. He's free. And I think there's value in this offense. I'm thinking about this backfield like San Francisco. I'm thinking, can I get the two, three Jarek McKinnicks out of this? Because if it's a committee and it's looking like, you know, the whole idea of Michael Carter's a starter, these guys are kind of the backups. I don't think that's it. I think it's basically a committee and it's a three-way committee. That's not ideal, but it might be a three-way committee in the San Francisco style where we get the Jeff Wilson. This is the week to start him. He blows up. We get the Jarek McKinnon, you know, he's actually usable for a few weeks and then it moves on to someone else. And so I want pieces of that. I want pieces of that rotation. I'm taking Tevin Coleman too. I'm taking Michael Carter as well. Like I I want all three of these running backs because I think they're going to be usable and we're going to know when to use them based on kind of how it's all working. And I think they might figure this out as it goes throughout the season, too. I think, you know, they're not really tied to any of these guys. They didn't invest a lot in Mike Carter. Tevin Coleman's basically there because they know who he is. They know he's reliable and serious. Ty Johnson's a leftover from the old regime. I mean, even Michael P. Ryan could be a guy that ultimately ends up having a couple of these. Like, he could emerge as a guy. He's obviously more waiver wire watchlist guy. But uh, Johnson, someone that I'm excited about. And a guy that I would like to carry to week one, like even I'm taking him after Ramondre in on this team, I would be more likely to cut Stevenson prior to week one than Ty Johnson, because I'd really like to see one week of this Jets, Jets backfield and actually see how the snaps are breaking. Another thing is Ty Johnson might end up getting some third down snaps, which we saw in that first preseason. That's very exciting. So I don't really get like he's got he's actually got size. He's got speed. He can catch the ball and it's a completely ambiguous backfield and he's constantly free. Um my exposures are out of control and I really like you guys to get on board with this take so that I can stop taking it. <laughs> but, I, but I, until then I'm going to keep taking them. Okay. Here, here's the deal in terms of everything you just said, it all makes sense. Uh, Ty Johnson's never been somebody that I've like even really paid attention to, to be honest with you. Um, 
but he is a guy that I can see providing those weeks. I think it's totally plot. I think you're coming approaching this like super pragmatically. I think it all makes sense, but it just doesn't get my juices flowing. You know what I mean? Like I don't have an inappropriate amount of Ty Johnson. Like I'm not having interventions from my family <laughs> saying that I'm drafting too much Ty Johnson. Um, but I do understand it. I mean, I get it from like, these aren't sexy picks, uh, but I think these are the most valuable sort of pieces that you can give people who are listening because I mean, you got to pay attention. You got to pay attention to what, what ambiguous backfields are doing. Um, and you really I think are, these just are sexy just... picks. That's that's why it's inappropriate because I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're oh, sexy. Oh man, those they're three weeks are going to be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what percent of the season? That's like what 15% of the season. And, and and when you don't draft a running, when you go and you don't draft a running back for your entire life, these are the sort of the these are these are the things you get excel. Sort of like when you're an adult and you're like you get excited that you got like new rims on your car or something, or like you got a vacuum cleaner. I feel like that's the ty johnson pick yeah it's more of the vacuum it's more like the 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 saturday night plans got canceled and like you kind of yeah those drink, are the best glass of wine at home you're like all right yeah <laughs> yeah now, that, if you don't mind me asking how, how old are you i'm 35 35 oh me you're a young looking 35 man you're, you could be my age i'm 28 nice all right good for you. i'm 28 all yeah right. all right man last pick here of the day let's recap from the top we'll reset it's been jonathan taylor calvin ridley TJ Hawkinson, DJ Moore, Jerry Judy, Lamar Jackson, AJ Dillon, Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard, Will Fuller. I really like this build. I know I think I say that every single time halfway through. Gerald Everett, Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Rigor, Ramondre, Ramond, oh my gosh, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, Quadre Olson, Ty Johnson, and your last pick, Diami Brown. Yeah. Tell me about Brown, man. I, another guy that I don't understand why there hasn't been hype on, although it feels like it's now coming. So now people are starting to get uh, him a little bit steamed. He he has been someone that finally I'm not taking constantly in the be- in all of these best ball drafts and I have to mix in other people. And I, you know, listeners have heard me say like I'm over, I'm wildly overweight on like multiple people. And I, part of it is like a phil- philosophical thing where I am okay being overweight on guys, particularly if I think ultimately they'll get pushed up the draft board a bit. Because if anything, I'm mad that I didn't get more Brandon Ayuk in at the kind of the five six turn, right? I'm mad that like when T Higgins was constantly available in the mid fifth of you know that I don't have just an insane amount of T Higgins because now he's more like in the fourth mid fourth. So um, at some point, I think it's okay to be overweight. Assume and then you, my, the assumption being like I'm either going to force myself to stop taking this guy and kind of get the exposures evened out that way, or I'm going to be right and everyone else is going to get excited about this guy. And then it's going to be easy for me to pass on because he's going to want him now. So finally with Brown, I think that's starting to happen. And there's a lot of reasons to be excited about him. He's a third round pick. He had two breakout seasons. He came out early, under, uh, early to clear wide receiver. He's in a situation that like Taylor made for his skills. He's a deep threat without elite speed playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, you see the back shoulder throw where he kind of comes up and grabs it. He's going to be playing against single coverage a lot with Terry McLaurin on the other side. He, uh, I think the other thing about him is that the deep threat specialist, you know, archetype was very much what he was in college, but I don't know that that's ultimately going to be what he turns into in the pros. A guy like this, uh, was Chris Godwin at Penn state who had a very deep a dot in college has since turned in more into like a slot receiver. So what these guys are in college, the role they play versus what they ultimately are going to be playing in the pros, it doesn't always, it's not always one for one. And 
with, you know, with Brown, the fact that he was excelling in this role in college uh, is still a great sign, but it's not necessarily the case that he's going to just be this deep threat. And everything we're hearing from the beat writers is that he's getting open at So if he's getting open at will, he's a guy that, you know, will be given some of those contested catch deep threat uh, type of opportunities that he did quite well in, in college, but then also is going to potentially be able to get open in the immediate areas of the field. And really, he has to get ahead of Cam Sims and Adam Humphreys to get significant playing time because Curtis Samuel is a versatile player. Curtis Samuel can play out of the slot, right? Three wide receiver sets, two wide receiver sets. Curtis Samuel can be on the outside with McLaurin. Three wide receiver sets. Samuel could bump into the slot with Brown on the outside. That's easy enough. And so it really comes down to how, how much better is Brown than Adam Humphreys and how much better is Brown than Cam Sims. And I think by like week, week four, week five, we're going to be thinking it's a little silly that we thought he was in close to those guys. Uh, I think he's going to have no trouble. I mean, I'll put it like that. The ceiling that he has is just, it, it will make it laughable that we thought that, that somehow Adam Humphreys was going to keep this guy off. The, so huge, huge ceiling uh, for Diami Brown. I think he could be a true rookie breakout. It doesn't really get priced like that. So, you know, to have him as the is the last skill player pick in a build like this. Again, where I have wide receivers early, so I'm looking for guys who make it for me to start them later. I'm looking for guys that are going to be breaking out down the stretch, going to be making my lineup better over the course of the season. Perfect fit for this. And I'll say, I've been giving a lot of injury optimism. For Curtis Samuel, I'm a little nervous. He's been dealing with his groin injury on and off since May. This is according to, to FanDuel.com, and I reported this. Uh, Devon Platana, August 10th. Um, you shouldn't really be dealing with the groin injury since May. Hmm. <laughs> it's not something that, and sort of like similar to in a similar vein to like Amari Cooper, minor scopes shouldn't extend six months. Uh, if you're going to rehab a groin injury, a soft tissue injury, this shouldn't be something that continues to, to follow you. And you've sort of seen that very similar to like DeAndre Swift. He had surgery, he had groin surgery, DeAndre Swift did in 2018. And then last year you saw him have hip groin issues and then now he's having hip groin issues. Not great. It's not to say that it's going to evolve into a complete rupture and need surgery again. But players like this who have these nagging injuries, you think about Deshaun Jackson in 2019, for example. He had a nagging groin injury. He tried to rest in rehab. He came back, totally ruptured it, needed surgery, was out eight weeks. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Curtis Samuel. But I mean, it's getting a little sketchy that he's still dealing with this. He just came off the pup. I think it was was it last week. Um, was this no, it been a couple of weeks ago. So this is something to continue to monitor. And I think that if he does, and I'm not saying you should bank on this happening or you should bank on injury ever, but if this groin injury and this groin issue doesn't go away for Curtis Samuel, that could help Brown's status. I could help him sort sure. of leapfrog whoever he needs to, uh, on the, on the depth chart. Are you that worried Man. about, uh, Deandre Swift too? You know, I don't want to say I'm like that worried, but I'm not, not worried. I, I don't like injury analysts who are super alarmist and will like tell you like I would stop you know, don't draft this person totally fade this person but I think it makes total sense in a similar vein to like Amari Cooper don't I wouldn't take DeAndre Swift for example as like my anchor I don't know if you ever would or anybody ever would uh, or would. if you've been recommending that necessarily I would I've, um, I've done that so I'm quite curious about that <laughs> from a health perspective I'd, it's again not to say that it's he's going to evolve into a complete rupture but I mean he's shown this is a chronic issue uh, they've been managing it since 2018 uh, I think the most plausible scenario here is he misses like a game or two and he's on the injury report on and off for a groin issue. Um, but I just, I would be just a little nervous 
about him being my anchor, if I'm being 100% honest with you, um, just because this this should have cleared up by now. Um, and if he's not practicing by like the week before, you know, kickoff, if he's still limited, then that's another sort of the next step of, of I mean, I'd call it a red flag. Um, it just keep monitoring it, right? Pay attention. Uh, I just don't love the fact that compared to other players in his tier that he's still sort of struggling with this chronic injury. But I'm not again, I'm still not saying like full fade or anything. You all don't right, love to see a little it, nervous. That's all. No. Oh man, I see the look in your eyes. I feel like I just scared you. I don't scare you. Well, I want to be. I want to like... be scared if he's ultimately not going to have a good season because then <laughs> then I won't draft him. There's still there's still uh, four <laughs> I, weeks of drafting yeah. left. <laughs> I would just. I would. I'm scared to draft him personally. Like I said, as an anchor, I know that you've done that, but it's not to say that he can't overcome this since he's been dealing with it. You know, the other side to look at it is he's been dealing with it since 2018. And he, you know, was fine, you know, presumably fine last year. He had a concussion, then he had COVID, um, and he's been able to manage it. And the the reason you're not seeing him now is just like every other player that has a soft tissue injury. Like you're not probably going to see Mike Williams. You're probably not going to see Kenny Galladay again. You're probably not going to see all these dudes who have these soft tissue injuries because they're just going to bubble wrap them. Um, and it, the real test will be what is he doing the week before game before kickoff? Okay. Um, and if he's practicing, he's back to full. Then you can probably sort of full sails ahead or whatever the phrase is. I think I just like put, I usually butcher three sayings at once, but just, just keep <laughs> an eye on it. Is what I would say. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Full sail of uh, wind in the sails, full steam ahead. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, <laughs> but don't, yeah, I don't want to like freak you out completely, but it is, it's, it's not not a concern. If that makes okay. sense. Well, that's helpful. I mean, sometimes he falls into the fourth round. I'll still take him there. Um, yeah, definitely. But that's good to know. There's the third, the third round feels a little bit. It does feel like, one of those things that we might look back and be like, oh, we, we you know, we may be worried or we were worrying too much. Um, but I think given all the information we have now, it's just the bit to go about it. I think fourth round is, is fine, like you're saying. Um, one more. Well, well, I have you. What, yeah. No, you dude, have, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you have any concerns about the Antonio Gibson toe stuff? Less so than the Swift stuff, but no, not no concern. Same thing. Right. So like it's so I try not to be long winded about it. We always know that running backs are going to miss time, right? Like that's obviously what your entire like thesis of how you've been successful has been based around, right? We know that, that that's a fickle position. And when we don't know where those injuries are going to come from, like last year, Christian McCaffrey, nobody could have predicted that. Nobody was ever going to predict that. If anybody told you that they knew that was going to happen, they're, they're bullshitting. But when we know that similar to, I've been referencing Cooper a lot, Another situation where Antonio Gibson six months later is like, oh yeah, by the way, this toe is still bothering me. You don't love that. Like that should not that should be a non-issue at this point if it was going to be a non-issue. It was a grade two turf toe. Those typically take anywhere from you know one to two months. And if it's if they're not going to go through with surgery, follow through with surgery, six months later, it should definitely not still have been an issue. It's not to say that he still can't play with like a foot plate and push through it. I think the most plausible thing is that it's going to continue to linger and bother him. There's a potential he gets surgery for it at the end of the season. It's really unlikely, again, like with Swift, it's super unlikely that it's going to evolve into a, into a complete rupture. But I also think it's completely plausible if Antonio Gibson ends up missing a game, two games for the toe, which brings back to what I was going to say about the position being fickle. The position is fickle in the way that I look at it from like an injury analysis perspective is if we have information that we know could impact the player from a health perspective, then we should apply that information because otherwise we're really shooting in the dark. Like we, we can't predict who's going to get a high ankle sprain. We can't predict who's going to get a hamstring strain. We can't predict who's going to fall off the performance cliff very well. But if we have information on Swift, we have information on Antonio Gibson. Those are the dudes who 
uh, in other years, previous years, maybe we didn't hear that that was still lingering. And then those are the dudes who did end up missing time moving forward. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. So if we have the information we should use, but I'm not going to ever tell anybody to like full fade Antonio Gibson. Cause like the upside is so high it's astronomical upside. So it's one of those things that like, as long as you are conscious that it is like, it's not risk-free relative to other players in his tier, then I think it's fine to keep drafting. Yeah. It's tough. Cause I like, I like Gibson a lot. He's got that little thing. The Swift stuff is concerning. And then CEH is kind of the other running back who kind of helps unlock some of these for you as well. Now he's got the ankle issue. Um, oh, I wouldn't worry about that one, actually. Okay. Uh, after, yeah, after the after the beat reporter, I think it was, he initially said uh, it was on the inside of his ankle or high ankle. Andy Reid came out and said, like, no, it's not a high ankle. And then I think Schefter actually said that it's not high ankle. So okay. concerned. CEH, right. definitely, I wouldn't be. I would some optimism who else though like let's let's talk about this. let's talk through these things i feel like it's a therapy <laughs> session for you anybody else on your mind well like okay so dalvin cook doesn't get really any discussion about you know who we're taking at the one to it's always dalvin cook and yet you mentioned with the alexander madison stuff that the shoulder is a major red flag or is, maybe i don't want to put words in your mouth but it is definitely a red flag is the vibe i got and then we've got alvin Kamara who outscored Dalvin Cook last year and I think has potential to even outscore what he did last year because the reception upside with a without Michael Thomas in the offense they just kind of use him like I've started to dream about him in like a Jarvis Landry <laughs> Miami type of role with a goal line <laughs> component yeah. like there's some real yeah. like oh man they're throwing this guy a lot type of upside with Alvin Kamara um, and I've been kind of making the case academically because I'm not actually drafting like this that we really should be talking about Kamara versus Cook at the 102. Um, Want to get your thoughts on that generally, but also uh, factored in with the shoulder. Yeah, so generally, I like Alvin Kamara at the 1.0. Uh, talking to, because I don't like do projections. And stuff, right? Like I've, that's, I'm just injuries, but I have talked to, to Barfield about it. Um, and he is like, yeah, it's totally, you're not crazy to take Alvin Kamara, just given the the volume that's going to come his way, the receiving work that's going to come his way, and the fact that Michael Thomas is even beyond the injury, beyond the idea that Michael Thomas might not be back till like week six or was week six or seven, beyond that, the situation in New Orleans is so grimy and gross, like just all the mistrust and all the miscommunications, uh-huh. like who who knows if in year into year two of this injury, Michael Thomas is like F it, like goes full Scotty Pippen. Like I'm going to rehab this and I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on the field until I'm traded or, you know, until 2022. Like we don't know like that's, but that is in the realm of possibilities beyond the injury. So that could lead to a shitload of targets mm-hmm. for Alvin Kamara. Um, and on top of that, like you said, with the shoulder with Dalvin cook, there's a study done in, it is, I think it was 2013. Maybe it was before that or after that. I mean, I think it was 2018. They looked at 83 NFL uh, NFL players that these authors did. And they tracked these players who had a shoulder dislocation, which Dalvin Cook has had three of those since high school. Uh, and what they tracked was, do they have a redislocation? They found that overall, the rate of redislocation with or without surgery was around 47% overall. Players who did have surgery had a 26% redislocation. Players who did not had about a 55% redislocation rate. Um, and it's not to say, again, it's not to say it's going to happen, right? Because he's he played through 20, 2020 and he was fine. Um, but it's not one of those things that goes away necessarily. It actually sort of, you think about basic math, right? The, the, the greater the number of exposures he has to contact, the greater the chances of, of, you know, he's just putting himself at a higher risk. But again, this as like even more so with, 
uh, like with Antonio Gibson, Dalvin Cook's like RB1 ceiling, right? Like if he gets mm-hmm. the touchdowns again, he gets more like at least the same amount of receiving work. RB1 overall is not out of the realm of possibilities. So I've, I've been telling people don't fade him from like a, a draft by draft micro, you know, sort of decision. I'm saying like exposure wise, I wouldn't have like personally me, I wouldn't have like 95% Dalvin Cook if I had, you know, however many 10, 1.02 picks. I'd have like 75 70, okay. 75, 80, okay. something, you know what I mean? More of like a macro exposure type deal because you don't want to miss out on that upside, but you also can't ignore it. And I feel like you're right. Like there hasn't been any talk about the risk involved uh, drafting Dalvin Cook. So that's sort of where, where I view it from there. And it's not a prediction, right? Like we're just playing the odds and we have, again, it's information we have based and, you know, we don't have information on other guys. We have information on Dalvin Cook. We know he, unless they kept it super under wraps that he had surgery after 2019, uh, it's highly unlikely that he had surgery. And so that that little risk mm. is always in the back of your head. So I actually had, I've only had one draft where I'm the 1.02 and actually did take him. So that's sort of where my head. Okay. Yeah. Because because there's no conversation about it and because no one no one takes Henry, no one takes, like, there's not a mix of guys who go at the one. There was one guy and it's Dalvin Cook. So I usually just take Dalvin Cook because I want exposure to Dalvin Cook. Um, but I have taken Alvin Kamara, um, like once over him. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, if I'm going to do it, it'd be Camara. Uh, what about, and I don't know, I may have missed a follow up on this because I don't believe they released results, but there was this um, report that Debo Samuel's getting an MRI for a tight glute. On his Did ass. you see this? MRI, ass MRI. I why would, so- I why saw- would someone get a, an ass MRI? <laughs> well, are we still talking orthopedics? We're still talking <laughs> orthopedics, right? Okay. Um, so I haven't followed up on it, but I, I didn't know that he was going to get an MRI. But it would be the same reason that they would get an MRI. Um, so glute Debo Samuel MRI, literally looking for it. Um, what you would, it's just like base. So here's, here, let me back up. I don't want to be long-winded. I'm always long-winded. The glutes, um, they attach at the same, the glute max specifically attaches in this at the same point where the hamstrings originate. And they both work to extend the hip. So they have a common insertion point. So when you have, when you think of like a glute strain or tight glutes, uh, it's very similar to having just like a a hamstring strain. Mm. And so it's not like a super scary thing. It's not as common, but you think of like Miles Sanders last year, Miles Sanders had a history of hamstring strains. And then last year in the preseason, he had a glute strain. Didn't end up being a big deal, the glute strain specifically. So I wouldn't anticipate this is going to be a big deal. Um, but I'm reading this report now from 49erswebzone.com, uh, 49ers away MRI results. And this was just two days ago. So I haven't seen an update, but honestly, I wouldn't really panic that much yet. It's probably just another soft tissue preseason thing. I know that Debo is one of those guys that has been slapped with that injury prone label along with Will Fuller Debo. This is like, I'm all in on Debo for the last time. Like if he can't stay healthy this year, I'm probably out. But I do think that he is um, he's a dude who is getting an injury discount and I would take him just because I think that he's got super high upside and that injury risk is sort of baked in. OK, what about this Cortland Sutton recovery? Another thing with ACL tears is that um, I mentioned earlier, 20 percent of skill players who come back from an ACL year one, this is since 2015, are on the injury report with soft tissue and or like knee quote knee issues. It's not to say that they necessarily miss time. But they do have probably what it's probably comes down to is workload related uh, hamstring groin issues. Uh, they're they're still their workloads are off kilter because they're coming off of rehab. 
wide receivers have a really high success rate coming back from these things, right? You think of Jordy Nelson, uh, you think of Keenan Allen, you think of Allen Robinson, who the that was like one of his down years, but he had like 50 fewer targets than any other year. And he still mm-hmm. finished as like the wide receiver 34, something like that, if I'm, I'm doing that off the top of my head. So I wouldn't be too concerned necessarily with Cortland Sutton. He's super talented, super athletic. Um, him and Jerry Judy are going to be beasts. And then you have Noah Fant that you have to worry about in the middle. I think there's there's just enough pressure off of Cortland Sutton that he's going to be fine and perform well. The psychological component is also something that we should continue to to monitor. But after the week where he sort of had a shaky start, like you saw with Joe Burrow, he was like burning dudes and catching right contested passes. So I think that that confidence is back for him. If you're still reading that he's like in, in two weeks, if you're still reading that Cortland Sutton is like nervous to make cuts and run routes, then yeah, that's it's time to hit the panic button. But I wouldn't be too concerned if there's one dude off an ACL who might fit the bill of the 20% with soft tissue injuries, it might be OBJ. And mm-hmm. that's that's who I would worry about because he already has an uh, injury history with, with. That's interesting. Okay, he's not really getting an injury, or at least no, he's we not don't talk about it as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's treated almost like once those guys go in the fifth, um, then OBJ is kind of like the the next guy, and he's the the top guy of like the next tier tends to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is like age is all relative, right? Like twenty nine is not old in human years, but twenty nine is pretty old for a wide receiver in the NFL. And the older you are in addition to the history you have with hamstring strains, uh, the more likely you are to get another one or Mm. even soft tissue in general. Uh, Deceleration is a big issue uh, for a 29-year-old wide receiver. Getting back into the swing of things after he was hurt two years in a row, right? He had the groin surgery and then he had the ACL. Now he had the ACL surgery. I'm, if there was going to be a player of, you know, the big, what is it? The big four or five, it's Burrow, Saquon, Sutton, OBJ, Jarwin. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else off an ACL. Um, it would, if any of those, if I had to guess who was going to have issues with fall into that 20%, it would probably be OBJ, but that's sort of kind of just conjecture. Um, that's sort of where I'm at with that. So not Burrow, you're not, you're not worried about any stuff. I guess one thing with Burrow is that specifically I'm like, he, you know, as a prospect last year, kind of fit this like Ryan Tannehill esque type of rushing addition. And it feels like, I mean, we're excited about the Bengals offense. So I get that. And I've taken Joe Burrow. Um, I've actually been talked to Joe, into Joe Burrow when I probably wouldn't have taken him on these many's co-owned team. But I get the upside with him. But I guess my concern is, are we going to have him be more of like a pocket passer, true pocket passer, so like the Ryan T- Tannehill type of add a little rushing ability on top? So, yeah, the thing with Joe Burrow, it starts with the type of injury. He, he had ACL plus ACL, MCL, PCL, the meniscus, and there was likely capsular damage. So it's exactly what it sounds like. The capsule that holds it all together. Mm-hmm. It was a massive injury. Like it was not a small injury. Like even 15, 20 years ago, like the rehab would have looked totally different. We probably wouldn't have seen Joe Burrow at the point where he is now. Um, but he's made huge advancements and we made huge, huge advances in ACL recovery. But still nine months for a basic ACL for an ACL isolated the soonest any surgeon or PT would feel comfortable players you know getting back to the field would be nine months and it's going to be nine months and 10 days for in week one for Burrow that's why you're not seeing him that's why we're not seeing him in the preseason because the surgeon doesn't want to write off on yeah dude go play a preseason game and you're not even nine months um that that's just basically where we're at and I've said from the beginning this is a super tight timeline for him like he had to had to be totally non-weight bearing to, because of the meniscus procedure that they had to perform for like the first eight weeks, four to eight weeks. And he's coming back and you saw that he was having issues with confidence. And that's normal. Like that happens. Uh, he's 
you know, even in June, they were doing OTAs and they didn't let any of the, I don't know if you saw the athletic report, they didn't let any running back uh, behind him. Everybody had to line out, line up out wide because they didn't want him to bump him. <laughs> so like I've said from the beginning, Joe Burrow starting in week one is a super tight timeline. Not that it can't happen, but it's also, it was never a slam dunk and it's never been a slam. Um, and I think we're all sort of treating it like it is. And I've been saying that it's not. In addition to that, even if he's back, we do have to consider the psychological component and just like the scheming perspective. Like I wouldn't be shocked if he's doing a lot of three-step drops, a lot of quick slants, right? A lot of, uh, a lot of dump offs to mix in. Uh, a lot of a lot of probably shotgun pistol formations to sort of give him time the time that he wants and needs until he gets settled in and flowing i i don't i'm not concerned long term with him specifically with burrow specifically but i wouldn't be shocked if within the first quarter of the season we do see a capped ceiling from from like a rushing perspective and if he's a little nervous and if they they're not sort of giving him five step drops to hit somebody deep but you you think you could we could end up seeing his ceiling and or you know rushing attempts increase over the course of the year. I think that's more, I think it's plausible. I think, and I'm not even, maybe he comes out and rushes five or six times week one, right? Like maybe he doesn't play in week one, but the way, the most likely case that I see this working out is that he, he plays week one, you know, and cause he's on track to, and he is limited in the rushing department. He doesn't re- he gets nervous to take off. He slides a lot more quickly than he has been in the past. You see a lot of three-step drops I think that he can eventually progress to the point where he gets confident enough and does start to take off and rush more. But I, I think if you're like in high stakes leagues and like a lot of the leagues that you're in, for example, if you're really swinging for the fences at quarterback, like right off the bat, Burrow's not where I'm looking first. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's really helpful. One more, uh, Rashad Penny looks like we might finally get him back. He's been like completely, you know, dealing with it. Like what, I guess help me understand like kind of what his journey has been. And then like, is, are we ready to buy back into Rashad? I'm a Seahawks fan, full disclosure. So I love Rashad Penny, but since he got into the league, they've, they've just like gotten in his way. Like the front office and the coaching staff didn't agree on that pick. Uh, He like broke his finger in the first month of training camp as a rookie. So he didn't get integrated into the offense. Then he finally starts to break out a little bit, tears the ACL. It was also an ACL plus. So I think it was very similar to the type of injury that you saw with Joe Burrow, except it's for a running back. So it was much worse. He's much worse uh, off than than Burrow is. And so he also probably had some uh, loose cartilage or something that was floating around. So he had to have another procedure just recently. I think that was a that was like within the last couple of months, wasn't it? Like the last few months or something. He had a scope. Um, so his upside long term is definitely capped. However, moving forward into 2021, I really think that this is the year that if it's going to happen for him, I know I've said that for like three guys this is the third guy I've said that from. Um, it just happens to fall that way. But I'm in on Rashad Penny at, at cost. And I'm in based on the fact that he's so talented. He's got first round sort of, um, wasn't he? No, yeah, I don't it was think first he was first round pick. Yeah, yeah he was first round pick. pick. He's a first round draft capital. He's got first round athleticism. Um, they all, we just talked about earlier how the the Seahawks still want to run the ball. So you know we know they're not going to be low in the volume department. I think that if Carson goes down, Penny's one of these league winning sort of upside dudes. Um, and I do, I do think he can stay healthy. Like, is it a guarantee? No, obviously it's never a guarantee for any of these guys. But he's just had really bad injury luck, and I think that his his performance two years after the ACL. Um, he's primed to to be able to perform well as long as he can keep the soft tissue injuries at bay. So I, I like Rashad Penny. I've been taking a lot of Rashad Penny. Okay. And why do you say his his upside is capped? His athleticism uh, uh, might have been snapped or, or um sorry. 
So I, if I said his upside is capped, I should say his upside shouldn't be capped this year. Oh, oh okay. considering he's awesome. two years removed from the AC and the meniscus. So that's that's where we're at. Like he's he's beyond what we would consider sort of like a functional loss from the ACL. Like there's no reason that the ACL should be impacting him anymore. And what we would be concerned about is moving forward, like the next two, three, four years of his career, where he might start to break down because of the uh, intraarticular damage to his knee. Got it. Okay, I think that's that's the the nuance there that I hadn't grasped. So, like with Jarek McKinnon last year, he's kind of the the guy who came back like this, and he looked pretty good. But then he also like he literally had dead legs on the. Is that is that the type of stuff that we'd worry about? Is that is that like a risk and not necessarily something that might that might just be more a McKinnon thing or how does that stuff? Happen? It was the McKinnon thing was weird. Um, McKinnon had like these. I don't want to call them off the books, but he had some procedures after the fact um, to reinforce the ACL that he had uh, in, you know, in the first place, the ACL surgery he had in the first place. I don't really know what that entailed. I know that he just had a ton of complications, which happens, right? We, we tend to think of like these routine. Oh yeah. You go in, you cut them open, you fix the ACL, you, you sew them back up. Everything's fine. But like these complications do happen. And McKinnon had these, these complications, whether it be the, the, the graft didn't take or, it be just his muscle never kicked back online because you have this massive atrophy that happens mm. after these surgeries, after you get cut open. Whatever the case may be, McKinnon had really bad luck. I don't necessarily anticipate that with Rashad Penny because that's not the most common thing you'd see. Um, but I, I'm the McKinnon thing was definitely weird how they said that he was having tired legs. Uh, I don't know if it just be, it's because he took two years off and his body was, I mean, he's 29, right? By the time he came back, he was 20. So 29-year-old legs versus 23, 24-year-old legs you're probably not gonna be able to keep up, but that shouldn't necessarily be a problem with Penny since he's so much younger and he had, even though he had complications, he had fewer complications okay. than, than McKinnon. All right. Awesome. This is like, I, I turned into your guest, man. What's going on? Yeah, that's, I'm that's not supposed true. To I'm not supposed to talk podcast. this much. <laughs> the second half, I just took to talk over the host much. chair and asked you a bunch of questions. <laughs> I mean, we're here. I mean, we're here. Who else? What else? I'm surprised you haven't asked about Barkley. Uh, well, yeah. All right. Let's, let's close on Barkley. Cause that's, that's, I mean, <laughs> I kind of want to get, now I really am posing. I kind of wanted to get, um, you know, some of the sparkly discount, but it came with the Jonathan Taylor discount. And the Jonathan Taylor one has been easy for me because I'm like, he's not hurt. His quarterback's hurt. He's still got a good offensive line. The quarterback being hurt might ultimately not be a huge deal, um, especially if they dump off to him while, while he's missing time. And maybe once doesn't even miss time. So the Barkley discount has been tougher with the Jonathan Taylor guy, you know, also there. But then, I'm also not sure if it's even smart to take the Barkley discount in the first. Well, first, let's talk. We just mentioned Debo. I just saw you guys updated. I wonder if it was you that did the blurb in the middle, but it was Debo. No, I was he, not uh, expected to play. <laughs> expected <laughs> expected to play versus Chargers. Okay. Um, so that's a, ended up being a non-issue. Um, Wentz is returning to practice on Monday. I wouldn't be shocked if Wentz is back by week one or two. It was a lot less severe than they anticipated it being. Um, so there's that. And then, okay, so Barkley, right? I've said this enough. I'm going to try not to be long-winded. Saquon Barkley, according to the scientific literature, meets all the criteria to recover from this ACL plus at a faster, more efficient rate than any any other running back we've ever seen, aside from Adrian Peters. There's a 27-year longitudinal study done by two orthopedic surgeons, and basically, what the question they asked themselves was, what are the common factors? In NFL players that allows them to come back to the same level. So in other words, practice player came back to be a practice player, you know, uh, second string or second string or starter was a starter. What they found was that high draft capital, at least, you know, in the so fourth round or higher draft capital is how they were ostensibly 
the higher the draft capital, the better. Uh, being an offensive player, and I always forget the last one. It's either the ligament or the like the the less complicated injury, hmm. um, or let me find it. I'm going to find it. But moral of the story: if they have high draft capital, they have trust from in, from the front office, and if they have a relatively uh, not complex injury, then they can come back and be successful. So Saquon Barkley meets all that criteria. So I know we like to use comps, uh, but the the bottom line is that there's no comparison for Saquon Barkley. Oh, an age younger than 24. He was 23 hmm. when it happened. Age younger than 20, 24 was the other criteria. So age, high draft capital, um, and uh, and being an offensive player. So he meets, he checks, right? Check, check, check. The average return for these surgeries is nine to 10 months. Week one is going to be 10 and a half months. Um, the the part about the the complication, the, the like the level of complication the surgery was, according to Saquon Barkley, they the meniscus was not complicated. The way that he described it is they sutured it, which is great. It means that it was likely in a zone where there was good blood flow because the meniscus has areas where it doesn't have good blood flow. There, it must have been an area that had good blood flow because Barkley himself said, yeah, they were able to just suture it up and they didn't have to like take anything out. That's that's fantastic. That's like best case scenario when a, a meniscus is injured. Um, on top of that, he's had all this time in the offseason to prepare. Well, I'm not saying that it's a slam dunk that Barkley is going to come back and be like top three running back, right? Especially given that offense and everything around him. But if we want to stay ahead of the curve... And if we want to chase upside, you constantly talk about if you're going to draft a running back, like they better be generational and they better be like an exception to the rule. And Saquon's lining up to meet all of those criteria for me. So if he's falling to the second round, like I'm gobbling him up at the second round, because if we're, we're not using any other measuring stick to really say like to, for performance, right? Performance wise. Um, the last thing that I know, if you do want to go the comparison route, even though he's not like anybody else. He's actually, according to player profiler, obviously it's a little subjective. He's a slightly better athlete than Adrian Peterson was. And he's three year young, three years younger than Adrian Peterson was before uh, he tore his ACL. So like all of this, like accumulation of information um, makes me look at Saquon Barkley like a league win. Like if we get Saquon Barkley at the turn, but he like, like turns out a top five performance, like, are we really going to be surprised? And I put this in the article at fantasypoints.com. Are we really going to be surprised if he like bucks the trend and has this incredible season after the ACL? Like, are we going to say like, oh man, we didn't see that coming? Like, no, we're not going to be surprised, right? And I think at the very least he has a top 10 floor, um, which maybe you don't love to hear, but that's my sort of big picture objective analysis on Saquon Barkley. Like, I'm not basing this off like my clinical experience because I don't even have a ton of it yet. But I am saying, like, based on the literature, this this is shaping up to be like this could be an exception to the rule. Okay, uh, that's that's super exciting, um, and we we do have one Saquon Barkley anchor running back team here uh, in this format, so uh, that that makes me excited. And you can get, I mean, there was maybe people have calmed down a little bit, but you could get some really cheap Saquon shares for a little while, and just completely like I don't have any expertise in this whatsoever. But just like kind of reading the tea leaves, it was interesting that people seemed to be getting like more and more freaked out that he wasn't playing and stuff. But I kind of and what like am I just off base with this? But like my thing of like I would rather these guys not be playing like if they're kind of if they're making progress, like if they're progressing, they're healthy, they're not having setbacks. Everyone says they look good and, and in shape and they're moving well. I don't care if they're not playing at that point. Where, where are you on that? Yeah, no, you're 100% accurate there because we did get a report from, oh man, I wish I could remember his name. 
I wish I could remember. He's one of the the beat writers for for the Giants. He said like every essentially the tweet came down to Saquon is ahead of schedule according to the team docs and to the outside opinions. He's doing really well. He's progressing fantastically. If the Giants decide to hold him back, it'll be despite all of that, mm-hmm. right? And that's what it comes down to. We don't know. Like we know the Giants aren't sharp. We know Gettleman just traded back for the first time in his life, right? So maybe they're <laughs> like, getting literally. a little sharper. <laughs> so maybe they're they're just i i think what like what's and i put this poll out too like what's more likely that the giants are are pretending to like that they're not going to play saquon barkley in week one um or is it more than likely that they're going to play their franchise player ten and a half months after a recovery that should take nine and a half ten months like the more likely scenario to me is that they play him will they ease him in like it depends what you mean by ease him in i think barkley averages like 85 90 percent of of snaps like what does ease him in mean 70 75 percent in the week one or two like I'll take it. And then the Rappaport report was also seemed like one of those, like what we talked about with Schefter, he like his feel like he was, it wasn't, he wasn't really reporting. He was saying his feel is that the latest Saquon Barkley will be back week three. Like that's just like 11 months to come back to play. It would be ridiculous. But again, I can't predict what the giants will do. Maybe that is what they do. But from like a functional perspective, like I think that if I think you're for me, I'd be really mad at myself if I missed out at Barkley at the turn. Yep. All right. I'm going to be factoring that in. All right. This has been the Pat Crane show here with guest <laughs> Edwin Porras. I'm just kidding. No. Do you have any questions, man? This is fun for me. You probably got to go. It's been two hours. I, I, I We should probably uh, wrap it up now. But this has, been, <laughs> this has been enlightening, truly. Well, I appreciate that, man. If you have any more questions, you can always hit me up. All right. So I guess we should get back to the point of this entire episode. And that is Pat's draft plan from the 1.12, from the 1.12. He took Jonathan Taylor, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, DJ Moore, Jerry Judy, Lamar Jackson, AJ Dillon, Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard, Will Fuller, Gerald Everett, Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Rigor. I can never say his name off the first time. Ramondre Stevenson, Quandre Allison, and Ty Johnson and Diami Brown. So there you have it. The man has never drafted a running back. Don't say he has. He is at Pat Corain on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. All his stuff is over at NBC Edge uh, Football, co-host of Ship Chasing. And he is one of the smartest dudes that I've ever spoken to. And it's definitely the longest conversation I've had on one of these podcasts. But I think it was really enlightening. I learned a ton. This was fun, man. We'll have to do it again. We, we will. I feel like I learned a ton, too. This was a lot of fun. All right, man. Thanks.